Welcome to the Dig In Travel Podcast, where travel and other digital professionals level up their marketing skills by listening to the top industry experts. And now, here's your host, Istok Franco, founder of DigInTravel.com, your number one resource for travel, digital, e-commerce, and marketing. Hi, this is Istok, and you're listening to episode 43 of the Dig In Travel Podcast. We got a great show for you today. I talked to Mariana Fonseca Medina, who is currently VP of Digital at Virgin Voyages. But before joining Virgin, Mariana was Managing Director of Digital Customer Experience at American Airlines. She also worked in the past on airline ancillary merchandising and digital analytics strategy. We talked about her experience of building digital teams, both large and small, We talked about how to define meaningful metrics for digital products and tons of other things. If you want to learn more about airline or travel, digital, digital products, digital analytics, I think you'll love this one. Before we jump into my chat with Mariana, just a quick update, because we are fully into our 2023 airline digital optimization research over the last week and the next few weeks. I'll reach out to many airline digital leaders to participate in our survey. So I just wanted to say that without your support, our content could not be done. So thanks to all who already participated in our survey and a big thanks in advance to all who will in the following weeks. Your support is really invaluable and appreciated and I work hard to make the 2023 Airline Digital Optimization Yearbook the best digital resource for all airline digital pros. Lastly, thanks to our sponsor, Brandspace, for supporting our research and this show. Now, let's jump into my chat with Mariana. Enjoy! We at Brandspace are a passionate and deeply experienced team. We break barriers and make it easy for airlines and other travel companies to create better digital experiences for travelers and staff. Check out branchspace.com to learn more. Hi, Mariana, and welcome to the Digging Trail podcast. Hi, Stock. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So this is now because this is a global international podcast, we always start with Time zone and location check. So you told me you're in Miami, Florida, right? You moved from Texas uh, to Florida. That is correct. I am in technically Aventura, Florida, which is a little north of Miami. Okay. Um, I'm watching the beautiful ocean right now as we're having this po- this podcast. Oh, that's I'm all angry now. So no, but a great view to do a podcast. So Mariana, I wanted to talk to you for a while. I followed your let's say, work or career at American Airlines. But then when you moved to a similar business in travel industry, but still even, I would say, very to me, very intriguing. So to cruise business, I said we have to do it because I think there are a lot of similarities and also a lot of things that uh, each industry could uh, learn from one from another. So uh, I really wanted to do this for a while, so really happy to make it work finally. But before we get to uh, to the cruise business, can you tell to our audience a little bit about your, let's say, background, especially what you do with an American? Uh, yeah, I- absolutely. So I was at American for close to 10 years. Uh, 
they basically recruited me right out of business school. So um, <laughs> I'm a civil engineer who then went to business school to study finance. And while I was there, I uh, stumbled upon American Airlines and I was excited and intrigued about the way they manage talent uh, because they back then they would bring you in through this program where you would go to different departments of the company because they believe that having breadth of experience would turn you into a better leader. Uh, so I was super excited about that, which is why uh, you know I spent so much time there. I started my first couple of years in finance. I spent about three years then in strategic alliances, managing the relationship with LATAM and then with Qantas uh, while we were redoing the joint business. So that was a very exciting time. And then from there, I moved to corporate planning, uh, doing large-scale initiatives like when we introduced premium economy and basic economy. Uh, I was also involved in the rollout of uh, scheduled flights to Cuba from the U.S., which mm -hmm. was kind of a historical moment for us. Um, and that's where I probably got bit by the digital bug. Uh, a lot of the premium economy work ended up being redesigning our, you know, digital properties as well as retrofitting not only the planes, but the systems to be able to sell that fourth cabin. So um, I got really excited about technology then and decided to pursue it further. Uh, and I think that's around the time we met, I was uh, leading the ancillary and merchandising team and at American responsible for, you know, all of the ancillary revenue related to all of our internal products like bags and seats, as well as third party ancillaries like hotels, car rentals, insurance, and so on. So that was very excited because, um, you know, it straddled a little bit of the business, but also a lot of digital. Um, and from there, I uh, moved full into the digital team, uh, managing basically the entire e-commerce platform. Uh, and then around the time I left, had the full customer-facing portfolio of digital. So everything that happened on the website, whether you're uh, shopping or, or buying a flight, uh, managing your account, changing your flights, um, looking at your advantage, um, you know, status, et cetera, uh, all the way through checking and what happens um, on day of departure, right? Whether it's through kiosks, through the American Airlines app or through the website. Uh, so really exciting times for me at American, really interesting 10 years. I joined a few months before bankruptcy, lived through the merger with US Airways and, you know, left right around COVID. So um, <laughs> quite a ride. Yeah. Yeah, I love the digital bug. <laughs> so, I love that reference. And also I love, like you said, that you, you did so many different things at the airline. I had maybe similar path when I worked in airline, but I started in IT and IT is like connecting all the dots. So we work like a SWAT team on all parts and you learn all these kinds of business. And I think... At the end, this is really important when you do digital products, when you build digital products, like you said, like ancillary, because it's not just solving the UX issues, but it's basically building the real product or understanding that. So how do you think your path from business or from finance to ancillary helped you build better digital products? Well, it's interesting. So my first role that I had in finance was IT finance 
which most people would agree is not the sexiest of the finance <laughs> jobs, uh, but it gave me a lot of understanding about how we were funding technology and what we were investing in technology. And um, it also allowed me to learn the lingo. I feel a lot of people, maybe not so much anymore, but back then were a little bit afraid of IT or mm -hmm. feature development um, when you were coming from the business. So I learned a lot of that core basic while I was in finance, and that was helpful. But then as I transitioned into more of the commercial side of the business, I learned about airline profitability, and I learned about attachment. And, um, and I think that basic finance understanding and putting that lens of ultimately we're trying to drive a benefit to the customer so that in turn, they can return some, you know, revenue and profitability to the business. I think that was really helpful as well as making sure that, you know, you're justifying the right products and you're working with revenue management to get the right things across that are going to drive the most value. So finance, you know, ultimately, it's not a bad skill to have. I think it's something that I will carry through to every job that I'll have in, in my life. And I think, like you said, also the ancillary background Because as you told, you were responsible at the end for all parts of the digital products. So from shopping, booking, post-booking, pre-travel is because sometimes I think, especially on website, we are so focused on optimizing for that core first conversion. We forget the, all the touch points they come behind and the, the total e-commerce formula, which is not yeah. just the first conversion and ticket size, but also the, the whole order size and the post-booking and upsell and all these things. I think it's really important to build a really end-to-end -end experience in terms of merchandising. Yeah, 100% agree. And then that and incrementality, right? We In e-commerce, we love to say like, oh, a lifting conversion equals X amount of money. Well, I mean, yes, only if you believe that they would have, like the person that you lost wouldn't have purchased, right? There's also something to be said about the fact that people just like to shop multiple times. So understanding attribution I think it's really important as well. So when you're in finance, you're going to heavily scrutinize every number that's presented to you. And when someone says, I can generate $20 million by you know, driving a point in conversion, you're going to be like, where is it going to show on the P&L? And if it's <laughs> not going to show in the P&L, then it's really not real mm -hmm. money. Um, so I, I think that time in finance really helped me bridge the understanding of I understand the metrics that you need to follow in product management and for digital and for e-commerce, but I need to be able to translate those into core business financial metrics if I want to get the investment that, that we need to, you know, to create uh, the products, the digital experiences that we're trying to create. Now that you mentioned metric, this is my sweet spot, let's <laughs> say, because no, and I agree with you. I really love your reference that you said, okay, metrics that will be seen in the PNL. And I see a lot of time digital teams or even e-commerce teams, like you said, we are so obsessed at optimizing or let's say fine-tuning a partial metric and don't see the end result or the end impact on the bottom line. And I think that could be the issue. But I saw that you wrote or talked about some of the OKR system that you build for some of the digital products. What do you say would be the most important when you are setting a metric system or an OKR system or any measurement system for digital teams and digital products? What would be your key insight here? Yeah, I would say you have to measure what you can influence. And this is where sometimes the way 
digital OKRs and business level objectives are not 100% aligned, right? I think every, I don't know, CEO would like to say, well, I have a revenue goal of, say, doubling bookings, um, and I need your OKR to be doubling bookings. Well, the people responsible for the checkout page, they cannot influence doubling bookings. They can influence doubling the throughput of people paying on that page uh, or reducing the number of errors on that page. So it's finding that sweet spot into creating objectives and key results that of things that you can influence that correlate or tie into the broader business objectives, but not falling trap of two things. One is adopting those business objectives as your digital OKRs, because you're never going to be able to measure success, right? If I commit to doubling bookings, then all I can do is, I don't know, change the forms, improve the UX, uh, remove some error rates. I'm not going to be able to accomplish my goal. So then a goal that cannot be accomplished, it's should not really be a goal. And then the other thing that you should avoid is the opposite, is having objectives and key results of things you can measure, but that actually don't contribute at all to the revenue targets, right? Or to whatever the overall corporate targets are. So if I have a goal of, um, I don't know, decreasing uh, time on task, but time on task doesn't necessarily mean more revenue, better conversion, or higher attachment, then I am not contributing to that corporate goal. So that for me is the biggest learning. It's tough because purist digital product managers want that just metric that they can tackle and they may not be seeing the corporate goals. And then uh, business leaders who are not digital native only want the business goal, but they don't understand that the digital product teams can only influence so much. So it's it's finding that um, I would balance. say negotiation and balance between the two. Yeah, but I think in both cases it's important that to have transparency and to see even I don't know, like you said, I don't know, my digital OKRs doesn't influence the goal that is double the booking, but how they contribute in this big picture, so you can see and communicate. And like you say, in the opposite uh, case, if it doesn't, then you see it doesn't feel uh, it doesn't fit the big picture, and you need to change the goal. Now, interesting. Now, if I move to your current role, which is at Virgin Voyages, before we get to explain a little bit uh, uh, what you do, what you do as a business, uh, I, I was Googling it and doing some background check and I came across you have amazing names for your ships. I saw the, the Scarlet Lady. What is the second one? Is uh, We have Scarlet, Scarlet Lady, our yeah. first lady ship. The second lady ship is Valiant Lady. And then the third one is uh, Resilient Lady. She's about to make her debut out of Greece next year. And then the fourth ship is Brilliant Lady. Love the names. Love the names. Any uh, logic, any uh, uh, story behind how you came up with these names? Or? I mean, yes, every every mermaid has, has a story. Scarlet Lady, obviously, it's a tribute to the virgin red color. Um, and, you know, if you see how Virgin Atlantic also names their planes, etc. Um, the, the subsequent, we felt that it was an opportunity to use the imagery of the mermaid, not only as something beautiful, but something that's empowering as well. We felt valiant, resilient, and brilliant are names that encompass all of them. 
valiant as someone who goes forward, resilient yeah. as someone who endures, and brilliant. Uh, I, I that's one of the the best I think backstories of it. It's a woman who's unapologetic about their intelligence, uh, yeah. which you know in, in this day and age sometimes sometimes that's not the case, right? Women have to hide it. So. Pretty pretty amazing names, I agree, with really good stories behind them. No, no, I love them and love the, the story behind the, the last one. So when we think about cruises or me, let's say somebody from airline industry, you look at it, you know, a lot of times we in the airline industry, when we are talking about ancillaries, when we're talking about physical and digital experience, we say it's the flight time when people fly, especially long haul, where we have the tension, when we when we can really go beyond in um, our experience. But then when you compare it to cruises, that's even much longer, the span and the experience and everything. So how you would say the digital product, how does it look like, first of all, for the cruise business and uh, how important is it? Well, there's definitely some key differences. Um, for starters, the time to shop a flight or buy a flight between when you buy it and when you actually take it is shorter than when you book mm -hmm. a cruise, right? Now, it's been shorter lately because of the pandemic, but, you know, in prior times, you would on average book a cruise nine months before you actually go on your cruise. So you have a lot of anticipatory time. Um, another key difference is that with air travel, you're selling transportation to a destination. Um, and yes, in long haul flights, you may also be selling the experience to get to the destination, right? Mm -hmm. You see how like people are dying to get on, um, Emirates because mm -hmm. they want to experience their, their business or their first class product. Uh, but you know, if you're flying, I don't know, Atlanta to, to New York, yeah. <laughs> it's a three hour flight. Like there's only so much you can experience. What you want to experience is no delays, get to the place <laughs> that you're going. Um, so one of the things that's important is when you book a flight, you know where you're going for the most part, right? Some airlines do some destination marketing, mm -hmm. but for the most part, you're just trying to make sure that people know where your network can reach them. Um, with cruises, you're selling the dream, you're selling the destination, you're selling the experience, you're also selling kind of hoteling, right? So you're selling the rooms, you're mm -hmm. selling the amenities and the restaurants, um, so you're, you're doing a lot of selling um, that, that you're not doing in an airline, right? So marketing becomes super important as well as those, let's call them content pages or informational mm -hmm. pages. So your digital experience doesn't start at booking like it does for, for mm -hmm. airlines for the most part, right? Because you have, I don't know, Google Flags and mm -hmm. Kayak, I guess, still uh, funneling people straight into your search results right? Half of the traffic is coming from those mm -hmm. places anyway. All they're going to do is book and, and get out. Um, with cruise lines, you actually have to do a lot of education about what the product is and where it's going and, and why you want to spend so much money. Um, so the digital experience starts and is very important upfront, selling that dream, supporting the marketing messaging. Once you get into the booking flow or the, the core e-commerce part, it's all about clarity of not only what flights would be of price and schedule, right? Mm -hmm. That's important, understanding which dates, roughly which months, what days, uh, and then how much it's going to cost. 
But most important, once you've narrowed down to those dates and, and destinations, then you have to sell room types <laughs> and yeah. then you have to sell add-ons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you try to get people as quickly out as of the booking path as possible um, and also understanding that they're purchasing something not for, you know, $300, but for $2,000 or you know, if, if you want to splurge on a massive suite, then you're looking at a $25,000 purchase on, on a booking uh, path. So um, it's interesting. It adds a lot more complexities um, and there's more of a sense of storytelling, whereas airlines are just a little bit more utilitarian. I just spent the last week buying flights for winter and all I care is price and schedule well obviously i care that they're american airlines because that's still very important to me (laughs) uh but i also want to make sure that they fit my price and they fit my schedule so that's where you're doing the majority of the adjustments yeah no no i agree and i think especially with commoditization and growth before covid of airline volumes and so much people were the frequency of flight travel increased so much i think People really want this straight through same experience almost everywhere. I want to know, like you said in these old UX books, don't make me think. I want I, I want to find a schedule price, get it in the end, pay. And like I said, I did in the past some conversion optimization for vacation packaging, which I think is in a way similar to cruise. And then it's like you said, a lot of questions about the hotel room or about the room. What is it for kids? What amenities? Do I have Wi-Fi? Do I have a gym? Stuff like that. So I think that is, it makes booking funnel uh, and pre-booking, like you said, uh, the information pages, the LinkedIn pages and all this optimization much more complex, but also I would say very interesting and uh, exciting to do. Yeah, absolutely. Like, for example, working at an airlines, um, if you're running e-commerce, your number one stakeholder or partner is going to be a business partner. Obviously, IT is your number one. But uh, from a business perspective, it's going to be revenue management. Yeah, price. Right? 100%. It's going to be revenue management. Now, I'm not saying I didn't work with revenue management in the cruise line, but um, you definitely work a lot more with marketing as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because... Airlines do some investment in paid media or performance media, mm-hmm. but cruise lines do a lot more because you're trying to funnel people in. So you have to coordinate with, A, what is the dream mm-hmm. you're trying to sell, but also where is the traffic coming from, right? Is it coming from Facebook ads, from banners, mm-hmm. from retargeting, from email campaigns? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of things that don't necessarily happen as much in airlines and definitely not uh, the large US airlines, right? Like. There's a little bit of work that happens on marketing, but it's tiny compared to to mm-hmm. what I, I just went through at Virgin Voyages, yeah. where a lot of your efforts are marketing heavy, especially being a new brand that you're trying to educate. So one of the things you learn um, about trying to drive conversion, which is very different from airlines, again, you said mm-hmm. it, right? Airlines, very utilitarian. I want to see the price. I want to see the schedule. I want to see it all in a nice grid so I can make a quick decision and move on because I know where I want to go and roughly when. With cruise lines, I need to address systematically every barrier you may have of purchase. So it's a little closer to like retail Mm e-commerce where I have to say, all you want to buy, like we have the most amazing five-star cruises, adults only, um, book now. 
Now, if that didn't sell you as you're scrolling or learning through the product, then I have to say, we also go to all of these amazing destinations. Uh, look at the great things you can do in Puerto Plata book now, like trying to reinforce that message. And if that didn't sell you, then you go to the next one, you know, over 20 eateries included and blah, blah, blah. So it is <laughs> yeah. way closer to retail. You would never do something like that on the airline side. Now you almost convinced me to book a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's working. Yeah, yeah. No, but I agree, like you said, also with marketing and acquisition, I, I, I guess, I mean, logically thinking would be part of the reason, like you said, the purchase value is much higher. So uh, the ROI on often, unfortunately, work in any travel marketing on this. You want to make the margin on the first buy. So the, the, the calculation, the logic is a little bit easier to invest in some of these things. But then it also goes back to what you talking before, being able to measure proper attribution, which channels feeds, uh, which channel makes sense and uh, are contributing to our success and to our bookings. One thing that I thought I saw somewhere, I don't know, probably on LinkedIn, that you talked in the past is some experiences from building digital teams, both at Virgin and at American. I would assume that in size and organization, they were a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> maybe you can talk a very, little bit about that different. and also the challenges you know because sometimes some stuff are easier done with small and centralized team and some things large scale it's much easier with more resources with several product teams but what we see and this is maybe relevant for our audiences i see airlines that are transitioning especially because of covid they had to downscale and maybe they have a centralized team and then they grow. As they grow, they add a second or third and then they try to go into these multi-teams uh, with several product teams. So maybe some experiences there or some insights for our listeners. At BranchSpots, we are a passionate team with deep cross-functional experience in airline and travel tech, travel retail and end-to-end -end customer experience. We offer Transform Consulting Services and Triplake, our best-in-class digital commerce platform. With Triplake, we deploy the latest technology and retail thinking and make it easy for you to drive personalized end-to-end -end experiences for your customers and meet your revenue goals. We are an IATA strategic partner for digital innovation to drive together the future of travel. We have been a long-term trusted partner for LH Group, IAG, AGN, TAP, Air Malta and more. Visit branchspace.com to learn how we turn the current challenges airlines are facing in the digital world into opportunities. Yeah, so I was very fortunate that during my time at American, we went through a massive uh, digital transformation, trying to move away from distributed teams, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Teams that, that basically took care of, call it a platform or a type of technology. Uh, there was someone that did the common services and there was a team that did website stuff and app stuff, right? Like more around the platform. And uh, we actually transitioned to product teams that were more aligned to OKRs. So all of these learnings around how do you set proper OKRs and establish teams actually came from, from that uh, long and difficult time, but ultimately, in my opinion, um, one of the most successful implementations of productization that I've seen where it's a good hybrid for a super large company of having product teams, that is teams whose only responsibility is to do be the most effective at shopping and buying, for example, with technology teams focused on supporting shopping and buying for them, right? Where they can have a dedicated backlog and teams 
and they can become really fast and nimble in, in delivering. So backlog just for that part. So it's like yeah, yeah. metrics teams, both technology and digital product teams focusing on the same part of the, or, or on the same digital product, right? Correct. And right. it started with uh, pilots that, that we did, I want to say maybe four or five years ago around very small products just to see how it would work. Mm -hmm. So we took uh, a team that would only work on the seed map right? Uh, which sounds like a lot, but if you think of companies like Booking.com, I mean, they, they yeah, have full yeah. teams just working on one widget within the homepage. Yeah, so exactly. a team working on a seat map wasn't so bad. So you had a full team, you had dedicated uh, product designers or UX resources, you had dedicated uh, engineering resources, and then obviously a dedicated product owner. And they had a backlog. And they said, look, our number one goal is to drive um, attachment, right? More mm -hmm. people selecting seats. And then they did the proper amount of research and understanding what the customer wanted uh, and where the gaps were. And one of the things that, that came up as pain points of the customer was they didn't really understand um, the benefits, for example, of an extra leg room seat, mm -hmm. right? And this was back when American introduced free alcoholic beverages in main cabin extra. So the seat map was very utilitarian to a fault, right? To a point where, well, we kind of need like just a pretty banner that says, you know, if you fly on Bain Cabin Extra, these are the benefits you get and be a little bit better about selling that, mm -hmm. that dream. Because, I mean, you are in a plane for a long time, four hours just in your seat. Um, so that team was able to drive their own dreams, Right. They didn't have to check with anybody else. They prioritized, mm -hmm. you know, the highest things that they thought were going to contribute to value. And then they would deploy when ready. So they actually did away with this concept of like scheduled, I don't know, weekly or monthly releases, um, which was great because every time they learn something new, let's say we have to have a different disclosure for families, another big pain point, right? Families want to sit together. They would be able to develop it and deploy it within a couple of days right. that coming from an airline that took a really long time to do <laughs> anything. Yeah. Um, so establishing that was quite incredible. Now they still have to work with a broader ecosystem, right? Like if they're, yeah, because if there's they're a challenge probably, right? Absolutely. So. Cause the seat map lives in your, in your initial shop. It lives in my account, right? You can mm -hmm. come back and check the seat map and it lives in check-in mm -hmm. uh, and it lives for the, uh, you know, contact center, and it lives for the airport agent. So the seat map is kind of a common good. Um, but if the, say, if we're introducing basic economy and changes to the seat map need to be made, well, the seat map team still needs to be a good player and say, like, absolutely, basic economy trumps my mm -hmm. disclosure to families. I will do their work, and then I'll go back to my backlog. But they... They, in my opinion, by the time I left, they had found a really good balance between having dedicated and focused product teams that worked on their own mm -hmm. stuff, but also supported large corporate initiatives. Um, and, and this was a large exercise because ultimately it was a company that was already working, right? So this transformation had to happen while the company was operating, mm -hmm. while features were being built. Um, so it was interesting, but but great. So you asked me about learnings about 
building digital yeah, teams. Yeah, learning is maybe about going to this more decentralized model. How do you make sure that the OKRs are the same, they are communicated, the team is working on the same goal, even if there's fine. Because what I sometimes worry is, okay, maybe we will over-optimize or over-focus on just one part, small part, and lose the big picture. This is the worry when you have so many different teams of working on different parts of the product, right? Yeah, what I always answer uh, to that question, because this gets asked a lot, like okay. people are going to go rogue and build whatever <laughs> they want. I was like, well, isn't that what leadership is here for? Ultimately, we are the checks and balance. So if teams do go rogue, then shame on leadership for not, A, sharing what the larger corporate objectives are so that they understand that they need to support those. So they're not going rogue. They should be building their OKRs in support of large corporate objectives, right? If the seat map team had come and said, my number one objective is to have the most beautiful seat map page uh, that wins innovation awards, I would have been like, no, guys, your number one goal is to drive ancillary attachment uh, and seed revenue. So if they have that guidance of what's important to the corporate, mm -hmm. then they can say, okay, fair enough. If that's my kind of umbrella goal, then they can create OKRs at the seed map level that's specific to them. So attachment, time on task might be relevant for them. Uh, abandoned and bounce. Um, so they're trying to do everything they can to get people understanding the product that they're selling and actually purchasing it. Um, and then error rates, right? Seat maps mm -hmm. are prone to error rates. So things like that. So now they create their OKRs. All of those little things should contribute to more ancillary attachment, which is ultimately what drives incremental revenue for the company. So as long as the leaders are creating those umbrella goals and guiding the product teams. The product teams should not be going rogue. Um, and then the one thing the leaders also have to do is there are always going to be large cross-functional initiatives, right? Things that will need work from the airport teams and the call center teams and the e-commerce teams and the seat map teams and the ancillary teams all working together in tandem to, to, to develop. In those cases, leadership needs to be very clear about which of those, and there shouldn't mm -hmm. be a ton, right? Five, 10 at most. Which of those five, 10 things are at the top of the list so that they can go and tackle those um, and that the teams, the individual product teams can balance the time that they spend on those initiatives versus the time that they spend on their own individual, say, seat map initiatives. Um, so that's a key learning. So I, I refuse to say that this decentralized model will create teams that go rogue because that means that there are no parents. No, right? no. Yeah, I agree. Very, I like the reference a lot. But I think also not just in terms of communication, which is, I think, key and it's the most important, but sometimes it's just like things you have. I think you have to have more like uh, centralized, like more guidelines and teaching in terms of, okay, we have some guidelines in terms of UX and design, how we do certain things. So we don't go, like you said, rogue in certain areas and do different things. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's really critical to say. And, and that's a job for, I think there's a job for IT, for the business and for UX in supporting a decentralized model. Okay. From an IT perspective, if you're moving to, say, a release-when-ready model, I mean, there has to be some governance about 
what you can release just on your own versus what has to be coordinated with a central operations team, for example, yeah. right? Uh, the type of development you do, how you're compartmentalizing your code, uh, there's a code standards. Like, yeah. So you have to have very robust guidelines from an IT perspective. In terms of UX, 100%. If you're moving to a decentralized model, then you have to have design systems and very clear brand and design guidelines to make sure that you don't end up having different design languages all over the place. Uh, and mm-hmm. I have some examples of where that happened to us at, at Virgin Voyages in the past, right? Um, but if you have that, then the business also has to have kind of governance around transparency and reporting and communication and touch points to make sure that people are coming back and sharing, hey, this is mm-hmm. what's going on in my product. So one of the things we used to do at American was we we took a spin on big room planning um, and there was some planning, but it was more of a, a lot of sharing. So once every few months, every product team would get together. This was pre-COVID, obviously. Uh, <laughs> then it went virtual. They would get together and they would map out their roadmap, put it on a wall, and then people would do a gallery walk. And like, oh, wow. Look at what the airport technology team is working on. Uh, That's super interesting. And then it would spark like, oh, I was working on this other thing that may benefit them. Uh, Let me talk to them. And then they would encourage that type of collaboration. So you do have to create some central structures to support decentralization of product teams um, and encourage a lot more collaboration than before in a way that's organic and not forced. But... um, I think all of that is well worth uh, the effort because at the end of the day, mm. you end up having a much better way of working. Yeah, and I assume because you smiled when I said that organization is different uh, at a version than it was in American. So I assume that now you work with, like, let's say, with a smaller team. Is it also that when you go to, let's say, bigger teams, several teams, it's also the profile of people when you when we are talking about digital teams saying, okay, we need more specialized role, more specialized skills. While when you have more, let's say, centralized team that works on several things, it's like more generalist knowledge and skill set. Yeah, so definitely a smaller team at Virgin Voyages. For once, they were a startup, right? Okay. So when I arrived, uh, they had just, uh, well, they were still in hibernation because I, I joined in January of 2021, and they were um, in hibernation from having to delay the launch of the company. The company was going to launch in March of 2020, which everybody can attest was not the right time to launch Crystal. <laughs> um, and what they had done in terms of their digital products is they had worked with external agencies to build basically a website and an okay. app um, and some you know smaller digital properties. And, and they had two people, well, basically one person managing the website, one pe- person managing the app, uh, and then one person kind of overall managing loosely digital strategy. But they didn't really have a product management mm-hmm. organization or culture uh, or standards, right? Which is fine because they, they were a startup. You, yeah. you cannot go and build a 200-people team uh, on something that you're just in the process of building. Uh, so when I arrived, that was that was my role, is standing up, what does product management mean for them? 
how do you operationalize this model for for the cruise line um, and get them up and running? So definitely way less people that mm-hmm. you know had an American for sure, which is a you know almost hundred year old company. Um, what's interesting is you have a lot of people who are very scrappy and they'll figure things out. So the person who was leading, uh, who is leading, um, well, was leading the website. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call that loosely, right? Because the website yeah. tells multiple things. But the person who was running the website, uh, not only were they doing the product management or the product ownership of new features going into, say, the e-commerce funnel, mm-hmm. but they were also publishing content on the content pages, right? They were the they themselves were publishing the content. Content creator, okay. Yes. Yeah, so it's like, oh, we need to change the copy on this page. And they're like, mm. sure. They would bring up the CMS, copy, paste, the, and then publish, right? Mm. So, you know, at America... But this is, uh, for example, I work with some smaller airlines. This, this is what they do. I mean, in, sm- in smaller airlines, this is the reality. I think, especially with COVID, once you have to downsize your work, then with this outsource model, when you have like three, four people in digital managing different parts of the product and finding outsource help agencies companies that are specializing in this thing yeah um now i the, the team grew it didn't grow to the levels at american obviously i mm-hmm. you know obviously i don't think it needed to to be honest with you yeah. what we did try to adopt was more of that um experience product model which is okay. your, the problem with someone owning the website and someone owning the app is that there are tasks Forget about the platform. The person who's using the platform, right? The, the sailors is what Virgin Voyages calls them. Um, they want to, let's call it, check-in. Now, how are they to know that the check-in is only available on the app but not on the website, right? Because every travel company that they've engaged with mm. has check-in options on both. So when you have two people managing different platforms as opposed to the experience behind the platform, then you end up with gaps, right? Where you could book shore excursions on the app, but not on the website. You can make payments to your booking on the website, but not on the app. And then sometimes the information wasn't there. So one of the things that that were kind of aligned was, look, someone is responsible for e-commerce. And right now, e-commerce or, or the shopping path is only available on web. But who knows what platforms may be available in the future? Maybe we want to use the app to sell cruises. Maybe we want to, I don't know, maybe Alexa is going to start selling cruises. Mm. But your responsibility is through a digital lens to accomplish selling cruises. Like that's your core goal. And right now your big thing is the e-com funnel. Um, Let's take my account or we called it prep, right? So it's that time period after you book a cruise to before you actually go on your cruise. All of that prep time, which I told you could be up to nine months or even more, um, because cruises are sold two and a half years before, like they start Mm -hmm. selling them on like airlines, which is, I don't know, a year or 331 days if you're on sailor. But (laughs) um, during that time, there's a lot of things that you can do. And there's a lot of things you can do on the app or on the website. And once you have the same leader being platform agnostic, just responsible for prep, then they were able to create OKRs that say, okay, what are the most important things for this prep stage? Well, number one is reducing calls to the call center. Because like, if people are calling in after they booked a, a cruise because they have to, because they can't find the information, mm-hmm. then the digital properties are failing them. So yeah. that's one. 
it's a great place, that prep time, best place to sell ancillaries, right, or add-ons. So that's where I'm going to show you information about shore excursions and upgrades mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, so you align the incentives, and it doesn't matter which platform you're on you are going to use every lever possible to meet your objectives and keep results. So I think that's the beauty of moving to a kind of digital experience mm-hmm. model versus a platform model. Uh, and you can do so that more- without a lot of people, right? We did that mm-hmm. with a, the same number of people that were there to begin with. No, I, I love the example. And it's like a great example of being like more, like you said, not internal driven, organizational driven by customer centric uh, what's our jobs to be done, if you want to call it, or what are customer scenarios or tasks that they wanted, and enabling digital to help them do that. Okay, so to end this discussion, we talked when we talked about these great names of the ships, so all the ladies, the nice ladies that you have. I saw also that one of the things that you are part of uh, is this uh, chief movement or how you call it if i'm not uh, mistaken promoting female leaders in all aspects i'm trying to get as much as possible on this podcast i don't know it's not that easy in airline world <laughs> not a lot of especially in digital we don't have a lot of uh, female leaders and uh, i think it's a great initiative and maybe if you can just share a little bit about that yeah uh, definitely not a lot of women in aviation and not a lot of women in digital and combine that digital <laughs> and aviation yeah. it's not it's not a good place um chief is wonderful it's basically a membership uh it's a member organization where you're able to connect with other women and get resources around you know what are some of the hurdles the reality is, um, if you think back like 10, 15 years ago, there weren't a lot of female executives in general, right? Forget about C-suite, just executive level females no. in general. So a lot of the things you face, right, uh, you didn't have anybody to talk to them about. Um, so what this allows to do is, A, see, man, I'm not alone. There are more people like me. So now I've actually met a lot of women in digital and in technology, which is exciting because when you are in an airline or a cruise line you feel you're in a bubble isolated and there's not yeah. many of you um but it also allow it kind of empowers you to be able to say not only i can help myself through this process but i have a responsibility to show up for other women coming up right so if there aren't many women in aviation or in travel and hospitality or in digital coming up through the ranks like what am I doing to remove barriers and hurdles for them to advance? Um, and then representation, which is make sure that you're visible so that um, so that they know that not all, say, aviation digital leaders are white male and that there's a space for them as well, right? Uh, leadership looks very different now than it did in the past. And it's still important to show that different styles of leadership are still appreciated. Um, so I'm I'm very excited about this organization and I'm very grateful for the founders. Yeah, no, thank you. And thank you for sharing your experience, your story. I hope, if not, if it's not a good motivation for more women, especially in airline, to go on this path towards becoming a digital leader, at least motivates them to join the podcast to talk a little bit more about that to give we'll give them the why so i loved your stories experiences and uh, hope to 
repeat this sometimes in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Estop. Thank you.